Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, what's up? Yo. Like I was just saying before we started, man, it's Tuesday, but it feels like the week has been just like years long, getting my ass kicked at work. (laughs) Is it just, do you think it's just work that's like prolonging it, or is there like other factors in making this week like particularly bad well you know like work i mean this is my busy season at work but then also like there's nothing else to do like you know in corona times yeah so i feel like there's no way to like blow off steam so i just end up either you know like watching football or like playing video games or something or like playing guitar (laughs) like it's very all very boring i feel like there's it's just monotonous and that's what's making it like extra you know what i mean yeah no i definitely (laughs) feel that like and and it's not even really broken up by yeah there's no there's no other places to go like regardless of what you're doing in your spare time you're just like at home Um, uh and i know this is not like revelatory to anyone listening but (laughs) it's just like i don't know it is i feel like it's going in waves where you just like, you know, beginning of lockdown, everyone was like, oh, you know, we'll see out a couple of weeks. Then you had like yeah. Tiger King era. Then everybody was like kind of over it for a while and was like, ah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then now then we're back made, into like, like sourdough bread. Yeah. <laughs> and then that bread was nasty. So yeah. they were like, this is lame. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're back into like post holiday we're now into like we're back into almost like original like one year ago vibes of <laughs> everybody's staying home um with now i guess the promise of a vaccine and everything but at the at the same time yeah like boring yeah. but the f- the football is committing and remaining not boring yeah not at all we cannot accuse it of that (laughs) fully committing um just to get i guess the uh the admin out of the way uh if you are finding the podcast for the first time welcome and uh hopefully you enjoy the listen um you can subscribe to us on on spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts um basically anywhere you find podcasts and uh you can follow us on Twitter at HXC football as well um, to get all, all the content. Um, but Mika, I mean, we may as well dive straight in and I'm, I'm eager to get this out of the way, but the premier league this weekend um, just provided more pain to the hardcore football crew. Um, mm. And none more potently than in the marquee matchup of the weekend. It was Liverpool versus city at Anfield City has not found Anfield to be a happy hunting ground in recent years. And uh, they get the 4-1 win over Liverpool, putting a massive dent in Liverpool's title ambitions and indeed kind of sending Liverpool into a a more heated battle just to get top four. Um, And just adding to some of the some of the problems around around Anfield at the moment piling on the misery and and looking good while they did it as well yeah yeah that's fair enough um 
I mean, I think obviously the narrative around this game is more about where Liverpool <laughs> failed rather than how City triumphed. So I'll start with City. I mean, I think I think they were excellent. I think um, they looked a different side just in terms of the way they carried themselves at Anfield. I feel like they kind of played within themselves in, in Anfield, and, and those were times where there were fans, of course, so I'm sure that makes a difference. Um, you know, with an empty cop, it's a different proposition, obviously, as it's been you know, three straight losses at Anfield, which I think has not occurred since the 60s when, when Shankly was in charge, which is an incredible stat. Um, but yeah, City just had a swagger about them that I don't think I've seen before of them playing at Anfield. So that was different. But individually, I mean, Raheem Sterling was excellent. Phil Foden was excellent. Gundogan, after uh, missing the penalty, showed a lot of character to still score breaks. I yeah. mean, everything was was good, and I I really can't say anything about City's defense because I, you know, after you know in the second half they really weren't challenged too too much. I mean, of course, Ruben Diaz gives up the penalty, and and we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, I think it was just a really good display by City overall. They look they look like the champions that we have kind of come accustomed to over the past couple of years. Um, and yeah, I think the gap's like ten points now. Last time I checked, I think maybe yeah. there's, there's been some movement, but I mean, it's it's re- their their title to lose essentially at this point. Ten points with a game in hand, uh, which became a, a point of contention in in Jurgen Klopp's presser uh, with yes. a particular journalist right. after the game. But um, sticking to the match, I mean. At one one, well, I guess we can talk about the penalty. You know, it's a it's it, a, a penalty miss by City, but then a penalty made uh, by Liverpool. Um, the equalizer from Liverpool, uh, Salah goes down in the area. Penalty for you? It is a penalty for me. Um, you know, he Salah clearly gets past Ruben Diaz, and he's got no option really but to put put hands on the man and he he does pull him but it is simultaneously a dive at the same time and a pretty incredible one at that I think on on one hand I I think there's been worse challenges made against him more egregious ones and he's not um you know had the call uh, but on the other, this is pretty dramatic. Um, so I, I think by the rules, there's no such thing as having a, a like a foul in the box and a dive. But obviously, in real life, we see that all the time. And I think this is just one of those instances. So, yes, a, a penalty for me. But, a, you know, a penalty that was marketed, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what I, I think forwards have been. And there's been a lot of discussion about this, obviously. But I think forwards have been their hands have been forced um, in a lot of ways by referees um, because let's face it. If Salah remains on his feet, that penalty is not given and, and there's no, there's really the only instance. And I think I mentioned it last week in a different context, uh, but David Luiz's shirt pull on Salah last season is about the only penalty I've ever seen awarded uh, to a player who remained on his feet uh, throughout the mm. <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. the whole the whole move, and I think um, even in some of the comments around um, like refereeing decisions, and and there was a there was an interview with Michael Oliver actually um, that had come out about the Virgil Van Dyke the incident that that Virgil Van Dyke was injured in, 
Um, and he made a comment that, uh, well, a lot of the players weren't appealing for a red, so mm-hmm. he never, it never really crossed his mind to give red to Pickford or, or anything like that. And so I think similarly, there's a lot of times that officials look for the clues. So yeah. if, if they can't see it in real time, then they're going to look for, did the player go down? And then they're going to look for how, how vociferous is the team in, in asking for whatever decision it is. And that will help make up their mind in some cases. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think in this case too, obviously you're going to have people kind of slating Salah on partisan lines, shall we say, but I think also the, his penalty has an immediate comparison with the penalty that Sterling earned, you know, earlier in the match that was like clean, you know, clearly a penalty. He, he gets past Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, quite easily and Fabinho hangs the leg out. And so I think people having seen that call kind of judge it against that one, if that makes sense. And and they're like, well, it's not, it wasn't clean like that one was. And so he, he dived and, you know, I I think he did dive, but I think it also is a penalty (laughs) as, as frustrating as that might be for some people to wrap their minds around, but Hey, the second half, uh, is where all the, all the main action ends up taking place, uh, in front of Liverpool's goal and catalyzed surprisingly by Allison, who hasn't really had a match like this in his Liverpool career, uh, a couple of mistakes leading to goals and uh, and ultimately kind of led to this scoreline, which I think is a little bit flattering to City, not to say that they didn't deserve to win um, mm-hmm. 4-1 a little bit, a little bit on the flattering side, but uh, sparked by these mistakes from, from Allison, who, you know, one of the best keepers on earth. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Um the first mistake seemed to me like just a an ex not just I mean it ends up having a huge impact on the match but it seemed to me like it was an ex- a mistake of execution I think he was looking to clear the ball and it's just too low <laughs> um, and of course City latch onto that and punish him for it um, but the second one I really don't know what he's playing at there and it's it. I don't remember what time it was at exactly, but it felt pretty much immediately after the second or after that first mistake for the goal. And I mean, it's just city just city pounced on those balls so quickly. I mean, Foden was very clever to get between the two defenders and, and kind of hang out there. It seems like he sensed something. Um, and, and yeah, it's able to square it for his teammate to, to, you know, just run up the score a little bit more. So in Allison's case, I, it's funny. I found myself, like defending him against mm-hmm. other football fans because they're like, well, wasn't he supposed to be good with his feet? And what the hell was that? Like just hoof it. And, you know, first of all, yes, he is excellent with his feet. I mean, that's one of his, his best traits. I, I don't think that's really up for debate um, reasonably anyway, but I think it also shows that he's used to better players in front of him taking those, those balls. I mean, the passes are not good. Let's, I mean, the clearance or the pass, whatever he's trying to do, they're not good, but I think better players in front of him probably rescue him in those situations, if that makes sense, or at least give him the option. Right. Um, But of course he had, you know, Fabinho and Jordan Henderson back there who are, you know, midfielders by trade. So yeah, I mean, 
he's been good for so long, elite for so long, um, yeah. that perhaps he was due a howler or two. It just sucks that it has to come in, you know, the match of the season, arguably. Um, but I mean, I also wonder too, if it had anything to do with like his general fitness. Cause I know he was out with illness, mm-hmm. um, previously and then had just come back in for this match. So, I mean, I don't think anyone expected to see Kelleher, you know, start again, but right. I don't know if that has something to do with it. And he wasn't actually hundred percent fit. Who knows? But yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking stuff and he, it's just something I have to put behind him. A, one of the things that really got the attention of, of, football fans and, and I would say Liverpool fans, you know, most acutely was, uh, the substitutions, um, with Curtis Jones being withdrawn and James Milner being introduced. Uh, I I'm interested from a neutral standpoint because obviously, you know, I, I think very highly of Curtis Jones and having him see, having seen him, you know, come through the ranks, uh, at Anfield has been, has been really impressive. Um, what did you make of his performance? And then, and then, you know, ultimately of the substitution, um, there in the second half, uh, for Jones for Milner. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I was really, you know, intrigued to see him on, on this, you know, team sheet starting lineup. Um, I, I don't know how many times he started before then, but it certainly felt significant for him to start, you know, against Manchester City at home, a, you know, a pivotal Premier League matchup and, and Klopp's obviously putting the faith in him. And I think, you know, we've discussed this before. He brings something that I don't think anyone really does in that, in that you know, gutted <laughs> Liverpool midfield right now because many of the midfielders are having to do other jobs. So, yeah, yeah um, I thought he had an excellent game, to be fair. Um, just very dynamic, breaking the lines, pushing pushing the play forward. Um Again, just something that Vinaldum and and Thiago weren't really doing as much, um, probably because they feel maybe they need to cover more ground for him being a youngster, which is fair enough. But yeah, I thought he was excellent. The substitution was a head scratcher for sure. I don't know that he did anything necessarily to deserve the hook. Um, and the game state too was kind of odd. I mean the 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 situation to put Milner there it was just bizarre to me and I don't know really I think that sends you know kind of the wrong message to to the youngster really is he you know he could maybe could have made a difference um he has been a difference maker in the past so it was it was odd for me and then you know juxtapose that with how well Phil Phil Foden played Mm -hmm. uh, I think that just adds insult to injury yeah it was it was one where I think we were all I was actually in a in a chat like uh in a video call with other Liverpool fans uh yeah. and we all were dismayed um mm. when the substitution was made but it brings up a, a larger point i think like not even the game itself and not this one result but it brings Curtis Jones uh utilization i guess like across this season by Klopp into question and I I tweeted this uh a couple days ago after listening to after listening to Stadio um mm. because Stadio. Th- there was something yeah shout out to shout out to Ryan and Moose uh but the the thing that caught me about what they said was they were talking about this substitution and they were talking about the fact that they 
felt it was, you know, it was a head scratcher in that Klopp hasn't used Curtis Jones frequently enough this season. And then later in their thought, and I mean, this can happen to any podcast. I'm not like specifically calling them out or anything, but later in the, in their discussion of the match, they talked about Phil Foden and how impressive he was and how, uh, Pep and his use of Foden, his restraint with Foden early in his city career is now being rewarded by Foden's development and like see Pep, like knew what he was doing with Foden all along and people who like called him out for not using him quite as frequently were, you know, being too hasty. They didn't understand. They didn't see the bigger picture. So my question is, do you think that Klopp is taking a similar tack with Curtis Jones and doesn't want to lean too heavily on him, especially in this particular season um, where fitness is so uh, paramount to, to what's going on and, mm-hmm. and so fragile. Um, do you think he is wary of over utilizing Curtis Jones this season at the expense of future seasons? Oh yeah. It's an interesting one. Um, I think clearly this, the situations are very similar in a lot of ways between Pep's management of Phil Foden and, of course, of of Cujo, as I think he's called yeah. by the, the Liverpool <laughs> fans, which I love, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's Jurgen Klopp's job to protect the player as much as to develop him. And if you're throwing in, I mean, how old is he? 19? Yeah, he, 19, he just 20? turned 20 on just turned on 20. on the weekend. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, it's uh, you know, a 20-year-old kid, I mean, you cannot have a player like him playing 90-plus minutes every week. That's just simply not... Then you get a Jack Wilshire. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love Jack, but, I mean, you know, sometimes those bodies are not quite ready for that amount of minutes and that amount of scrutiny uh, because, you know, the first bad patch you hit and fans can be very unforgiving with that kind of thing. I mean, it might be less so with, you know, one of your own, as they say, but even so... I think that's a consideration for the manager. And um, given that Liverpool are under so much pressure, I'm sure he's probably he probably has that in mind as well of, well, I don't want Curtis Jones to become kind of the lightning rod for this, you know, or the, potentially become it anyway. The one thing I will say uh, for Pep, I guess, and his kind of handling with Phil Foden that might be a bit different is that he generally has world-class players that Phil Foden was having to compete with, you know, mm-hmm. uh, David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan, Rodri, Fernandinho. Uh, you know, I'm sure I'm missing people. Bernardo Silva. Um, so yeah. for for me in that way, I kind of almost can forgive Pep because it's like, well, really, who, who are you benching among those 5 million world-class midfielders to... <laughs> Right, you know, and then even on the wings because Phil can play out on the wings wide as well. So sure. you've got you had Sane, Sterling, Mares. Um, so I think that was kind of, I guess that I would put put that forth in in Pep's defense of like, yeah, it made sense that he wasn't going to play football all the time. He had those other choices, but with Klopp, where I can kind of criticize him is like, but you don't have those same choices. You don't have that same depth that Manchester City have. So why not give the kid a little more time? Sure. Um, especially because he brings something that others don't, as I've said. Right. Like, I thought Vinaldum was pretty 
average on the day. I think Thiago is is playing a role that perhaps might actually kind of be a luxury in this kind of season for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not that it's not appreciated, um, but yeah. And he's not really the best tackler as we've seen. <laughs> um, I think he gets <laughs> carded or at least was worn. Second so, minute uh, yeah. yellow card where he h- hunts down Gundogan and <laughs> it's yeah, not a good tackle. Um, right. Yeah. So that's kind of where I think the difference is too, is that, Klopp doesn't have that same death. And I think you Liverpool fans probably see that. Like, come on, man. Who else will give us that? Yeah. Um, and and so the yeah, only other fair. player, the only other player that gives them that is Nabi Keita, and he has been hurt the entire season, right. basically. Um Absolutely. And, along with, you know, <laughs> add him to the list. Um right. and and so I do think it adds to the frustration. I just can't think of a of a reason that Klopp takes Jones off aside from minute management. Like there's no yeah. other explanation because he was by far the best, uh, you know, midfield piece in terms of advancing the ball. As you said, he, he was the most progressive midfielder right. looked the most likely to make something happen. Um, did make things happen, you know, in attack. So I just, uh, I can't think of another explanation um, for, you know, substituting, like bringing on Milner in that situation just makes no sense except to, to manage Jones's minutes. That's my only, my yeah, only Milner thought is kind of like a, a shut up shop type of substitution. Exactly. And there was certainly no shop to shut up at no. that point. So it was even more puzzling for, yeah. for me as well. Yeah. Um, city with, as we said, a a big result, they're 10 points clear and that's their 14th win in a row in all competitions, um, which equals the, the all, all time, um, winning run for a top, top flight side, uh, Preston in 1892 and Arsenal in 1987. Um, so yeah, uh, quite the run and they can actually, uh, with a win over, uh, Swansea tomorrow in the in the FA Cup they can they can set the record for for most wins mm. in a row across all competitions um with 15 um moving across Manchester to Manchester United uh one of the big matches of the weekend United Everton 3-3 draw at Old Trafford and a dramatic Dominic Calvert-Lewin uh, goal in the fifth minute of four minutes of stoppage time uh, seals it for seals it for the Blues um, and and takes a point back uh, back to Goodison for for Carlo. Yeah! Wow! An incredible result for Everton, who've been pretty poor lately so it's kind of shocking i i did not watch this match but i was trying to follow it on on my phone and the last i saw was like two nil united so what what happened here uh i don't it it has to be said first that like the manner of the goals are concerning I think for United fans, um, conceded. Okay. Yeah. The manner of the goals they scored were fantastic. And I think this has been, this has been United's one, you know, drawback this season is 
in attack, they're unbelievable. Um, mm. And the ball in for Cavani's goal um, from Marcus Rashford for the first is unbelievable. It's a stunning cross. Cavani can't miss uh, and doesn't. Bruno Fernand's goal, uh, like right on halftime, crazy looping, curling ball. Um, and it looks like smooth sailing. And then it's a, it's a pair of Decore involvements. So Decore scores the, the first and it's a scruffy goal. De Gea actually spills, um, spills a shot, um, and it's straight to Decore who taps in at the, at the back post. And then Decore gets to the byline, um, just like three minutes later, and cuts it back. And James has uh, a really great control and a, just one of those low controlled shots um, that even though De Gea is over to that side, can't quite get there. Um, kind of vintage James. Um, but it has to be said that like those two goals were preventable preventable. It's a De Gea goalkeeping error on the first. It's it's some lax defending on the second. McTominay scores in the 70th minute and it should be over. From yo, from United's perspective, mm. 20, 20 minutes to go, they should see this out. And it was simply it was simply a case of uh set pe- late set piece and um they don't deal with it. Uh, and, and I think, um, I don't know if it's a concentration issue or, or what happened, but, um, but yeah, United, uh, concede that late goal and, and toss away a chance at, at a win, um, to keep pace with city. Um, they, you know, they're still second, but, um, but a gap appearing there now is, uh, as well um, five points and city have a game in hand um, over United also. So um, yeah, just a missed opportunity and, and down to United's one weak spot, which is their defense. I have to say the decline of David De Gea has been one of the most bizarre things. Yeah. Um, at one point, arguably the best goalkeeper in the world, certainly has turned out for Spain and for Manchester United. I mean, he's been there over a decade and, and won things with them, but he just concedes a lot of soft ones now. And, and I think, I think the decision for United to keep Dean Henderson at the club this season and not allow him to go out on loan again was meant to challenge him, but he's not responding to that challenge. So I, I wonder, I mean, maybe that's a bit harsh. I mean, he's he's had okay performances, but I think you you expect more than okay out of your number one. So I wonder if there is a switch, uh, a more permanent switch, I guess, to Dean Henderson as the number one. But I think De Gea is under contract till 2023. So that's something certainly to watch. I mean, you can't fault... You can't say United haven't tried to support him by bringing in defensive reinforcements a la McGuire, Wambasaka. Uh, and the like, and, and Luke Shaw's in, in pretty good form. So mm-hmm. it's just very weird. <laughs> the uh, This was just the fourth time that Manchester United led a Premier League home game by at least two goals and failed to win. Um, Everton are responsible for the last two occasions. Uh, so also, wow. 
it was a four, four in April, 2012 was the last time <laughs> prior to this. Um, and United have conceded now 18 goals in 12 Premier League home games, which is more than they allowed in the entirety of last season at home. Um, so Goodness. yeah, uh, still with a ways to go. So, um, <laughs> defensive frailties showing at home. And I mean, it has to be said similar, similar story at Liverpool. So maybe these like big clubs playing in front, used to playing in front of, you know, the tens of thousands, uh, really struggling to, to maintain concentration in, uh, in empty, empty stands. Yeah, no, it it absolutely has an effect. I don't think that that, I mean, I think we spoke about this probably towards the beginning of the season was they've done studies on this and the home field advantage is like evaporated for a lot of these big clubs. So, uh, I mean, they studied that in the Bundesliga and found that away fixtures were, were better for the team traveling um, in terms of results. So we might be seeing a little bit of that here in, in the Premier League. The, uh, well, Arsenal went to Aston Villa, um, and unfortunately couldn't overcome a a second minute Ollie Watkins, uh, goal and, and lost one nil. The story of this one, not dissimilar to, to what we've come to see from Arsenal. You know, there was this little bit of resurgence in terms of offensive output, but this felt like a little bit of a regression for Arteta's Arteta's side. Yeah. Arsenal just looked really flat. I I have to say, I don't feel it. It doesn't feel as like gut wrenching as like how we were playing before Christmas. Sure. I think you can still see that there's overall an improvement, but yeah, some days were just flat. Like we were in this one and, and fucking Aston Villa have our number, man. They <laughs> we since coming up from the cha- you know back up from the championship, we haven't won or even scored against Villa in our last three tries. I mean, we did beat them sometime in 2018, but in our last three tries, no goals scored, and they've wow. like and you know this has been at the Emirates at Villa Park. It's just been fucking harsh trying to play the, the Birmingham side. Um, I, I mean, yeah, Ollie Watkins. He latches onto a Cedric mistake. Cedric tries to lay the ball off for Gabriel Magalhaes, and the pass is just too soft. And to be fair to Cedric, he's playing out of position because we don't have a backup left back. So he's, you know, a right footer playing on that left side. And he's been okay. Like he's been serviceable, certainly doing a job. But yeah. there are limitations, and that <laughs> is showed there. Um, and, and, and Rob Holdings defending at the back post was kind of sus as well. So just not good. Everyone just kind of asleep in that moment. And you really can't be starting off matches like that, especially on the road. Um, and, and yeah, Ollie Watkins was just a a nightmare to deal with. Um, I, I mean, the only thing that I can really say, I suppose positively about Arsenal was it was a pretty decent debut for Matty Ryan Mm. made a couple of good saves. Um, he he seems like he's fit. There were some issues when he first came in, I guess, saying that he was injured or nursing injury or something like that, but uh, it was fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those games that just shows that Arsenal still need to rebuild. I mean, for example, the the difference couldn't be more stark between Ollie Watkins, this all-action striker, and, for example, Lacazette, who... Arteta is trying to make him be this pressing agent, this playmaker from from the you know the line, mm-hmm. and 
I mean, there's a chance where Pepe, he's got Pepe and Saka kind of like, you know, bombing down the wings and he's got two options. He makes the wrong choice for the pass Mm -hmm. and then he doesn't actually even complete the pass. So he's just being asked to (laughs) do a lot that uh, perhaps he can't do and his contract's up soon. So, I mean, he might be one of the one of another one out the door. So. For Villa, good enough. for Villa, this is like kind of a similar story to what we've seen. Um, obviously, uh, they production wise, they kind of match Arsenal in this one, and actually, out in terms of shots on target, create create a lot more um, yeah. from just you know the thirty three percent of the ball, which I think we've come to expect um, from this Villa side playing on the break and and doing so effectively. Um, and in fact, doing so, so effectively that they're at 35 points and this is their total from the entirety of 1920, um, which saw them obviously barely stay up and it's their best return after 21 matches in a top flight campaign since 0910 when they finished sixth. Um, so Villa, Villa humming right along the glow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good it's for them. Yeah. Um, unfortunately at the expense of Arsenal, but Dean Smith has, uh, has the villains, has the villains flying. Um, other results around the league quickly, Burnley and Brighton played to a one, one draw. Um, Newcastle saw out a three, two win, over Southampton. And I did just want to shout out uh, the couple of loanees showing out in this one. Joe Willick for yeah. Ars- for Arsenal on loan at Newcastle scored in the 16th minute and uh, Takumi Minamino on loan from Liverpool at Southampton uh, scored in the 30th. Um, and everyone's uh, saying how good Joe was. And I'm like, fucking, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he did play well in, in fairness. And, uh, and, this was a crazy game for a number of reasons, um, not not least of which uh, Jeff Hendrick is actually sent off in the 49th mm-hmm. minute, and Southampton probably should have found a way to at least draw this game. And Danny Ings will be kicking himself because he had about three or four like guilt edge chances uh, to to at least equalize, um, <laughs> but uh, in the end, uh, James Ward Prowse's stunning free kick, which feel they're becoming less stunning by the by the minute because he does it with such regularity um right. was not enough to overcome a, a Miguel Almiron bl- brace as well so yeah a lot of a lot of narrative in this one wow <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have watched that instead of Villa shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fulham and West Ham played to a nil nil draw, uh, Tottenham with a pretty routine win over West Brom, uh, two nil, which yeah, as, as we've said, West Brom looking more and more likely, uh, that they're doomed, um, Wolves and Leicester played to a nil nil draw. And I think we spoke about this with, with Christian in the group chat, but this is a good point for Wolves. Certainly, certainly, yeah. With the the firepower that Leicester have, and kind of Wolves' inability to score, and their strikers kind of failing to to fill Raul's shoes, I think that's a very good good point for sure. Um, Sheffield United uh, unable to to get anything off of Chelsea. Two uh, one win for Chelsea, um, 
a Jorginho penalty, the, the difference in this one. Um, but promising signs for, for the blades or too little too late. Ooh, I think it's, uh, like I said last time, I think they're finally figuring out what they need to do to get results in this very strange season, but it might, might be too late. Um, was this, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the Chelsea goal, was that an own goal or did somebody score an own goal in this game? Uh, Rudiger scored an own goal for Sheffield. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So I think that's the only, well, no. I don't remember what the stat is, but either way, Thomas Tuchel has this team playing quite well. They don't really concede all too much. So yeah. um, I think that might actually be the only goal that they've conceded. It's not even actually. Yes. Them. So yeah. that was the first, <laughs> the first goal in the, in the premier league against, uh, against in the Tuchel era. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty impressive. And uh, yesterday Leeds United uh, beat crystal palace two nil. Um, see Rafinha or, and, Gary Cahill's life. Unbelievable, unbelievable skill reminiscent of, <laughs> of Roberto Firmino on uh Soldado in the, in the Europa league all those years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Um, yeah. Unbelievable skill. You, I love, I love those. And then uh, a Jack Harrison goal as well as Patrick Bamford scores again. Um, and a, and a pretty, pretty dominant leads performance at home against palace, um, which leaves the table. As we said, city top, uh, United second, Leicester city third and Liverpool down to fourth, uh, city with a game in hand, uh, about, you know, uh, over all of their rivals, uh, around them in the table, uh, Chelsea into fifth now, um, just a point behind Liverpool and West Ham, uh, level on points with Chelsea, Everton, uh, Tottenham in eighth, Aston Villa in ninth Leeds 10th, Arsenal in 11th. Um, and then at the bottom, the, the, the gap is widening and, and Burnley, 17th on 23 points Fulham 18th on 15. So a 12 point gap between um, for 12 point gap to safety for Fulham. Um, wow. And the story gets worse from there for West Brom and Sheffield United. So um, yeah. yeah, it's going to be tough to overcome. It's, yeah, indeed. Burnley, damn it. They're staying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, stubborn Burnley. I do want to shout out. I said West Ham. I do want to shout out uh, Emperor Emperor Palpatine. Uh, <laughs> Post match, David Moyes. <laughs> did you see this? <laughs> this, I did, uh, yes. yeah. If you haven't seen it, just look up David Moyes' post match press conference where he's he's wearing he's a hooded figure, a la yeah. a la Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> yeah, and he's got the wrinkly face and everything. Yeah. So just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that was the Premier League this weekend. Um, we've got we've got some more matches to talk about. Um, but uh, what do you say we take a quick break and then we can dive into that? Yeah, that's good.
Welcome back. Mika, the Bundesliga this weekend, not not a ton in the way of of big shocks or, or massive uh, seismic results. But unfortunately, your weekend of pain did not let up as uh, <laughs> Köln got a 2-1 win uh, over, over Gladbach and uh, Elvis, the perpetrator. Um, I don't know that I can tackle his last name, the, the Albanian, uh, but... Rex Bishai, I think. Yeah, Rex Bishai. So <laughs> Elvis Rex Bishai with a brace uh, and, and sees that 2-1 win over Gladbach. Um, the Foles struggling a little bit and Marco Rosa, uh, getting a little defensive, uh, these days as well. Yeah. He was really ornery (laughs) (laughs) Um, with the press. I I mean, they keep asking him about the Dortmund job and I mean, shit, I'm getting pissed listening to it. Um, we'll see what happens with that, but I got to criticize dad here for a little bit because this, (laughs) this starting lineup was shocking um <laughs> you know for those who are not familiar this is the derby Gladbach and Cologne this is Ryan Darby it's a huge match mm-hmm. um and Marco Rosa decides to leave on the bench Christoph Kama, Marcus Turam, Alessandro Playa, Jonas Hoffman, Rami Benzbaini and Nico Alvedi who are all for me part of our best 11 yeah so it was just really odd. Like, I, I don't know what he was trying to get at. Maybe he's trying to send a message to those players that it's not good enough, whatever. But w- they were just flat. Um, I mean, even our only goal is a, a deflection from a Neuhaus shot. Uh, yeah, Kona was just better. I mean, Rex Bishai with the double, as you said. The first goal is just clinical counterattacking. We don't deal with it. And then the second yeah. goal is just terrible passing at the back. Um, Stefan Leiner had a nightmare. Uh, of a game in my opinion and he was at fault I think in that one along with whoever was playing back there I think it was um Tony Janschk Janschk yeah who is a right back not a center back yeah former yeah, Dinamo so. former former Dinamo man uh Tony Janschk oh, there you go yeah I really I didn't know that yeah back in the day yeah so I mean yeah this is a big result for Kellen obviously they're they're just trying to stay up. I mean, they've been a bit of a yo-yo club in recent seasons and, um, they celebrated by putting their shirt on the corner flag as Marcus Toam often does. And he did at the Rhein energy stadium to be fair. So, uh, that pissed me off and I'm sure it pissed <laughs> off a lot of people watching it as they were obviously mocking young Marcus, but, uh, yeah, just not, not a good result at all for Gladbach. And I just don't understand the team selection. So, it yeah. uh it is a good result for Cole for sure um grabbing some some vital points uh in in that that ch- as they're chasing safety um Cole mm-hmm. though uh it's their second win in a row they beat Armenia uh la- last weekend they lost in the cup midweek to Jan Regensburg though so <laughs> on penalties so um little bit of mixed bag, but they can at least focus on the league. Maybe that's the messaging out of, (laughs) out of that. But, (laughs) um, but yeah, the, um, Cole win the Derby. And as he said, yeah, that's, that's a, a bold move in, uh, (laughs) like in Gladbach to, I'm sure if fans were in the stands, they may have, they may have gone a different route. Uh, 
Do you yeah. think do you think they would have done done that uh corner flag gimmick uh any That's a good either one. Way? I don't know. That might have that might have sparked a riot for real. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean again, Marcus Tulam, he did it there too, but that's also his thing. Like everyone knows that. Right. So for them to like obviously mock it is pretty uh yeah. Yeah. I was furious. <laughs> But you it made could. me forget about the uh, result, to be honest, and just had something else to be pissed about. <laughs> you could tell what it meant to them, um, a massive result for the Billy Goats, and, and they'll, uh, they'll take a lot of heart from winning the Derby. We'll see if it propels them to, you know, to a strong finish here towards the end of the season. Um, the other notable result here uh, in the Bundesliga was Leverkusen 5, Stuttgart 2, and it was notable for a few reasons, but uh, the first is Leverkusen back to winning ways. Um, the goal score, the goal scorers themselves, and the manner of the goals. Um, Kareem Demirbay with a brace, um, maybe taking some lessons from Ilkay Gundogan uh, in <laughs> in his goal scoring <laughs> form. Um, Demirbay scoring from midfield. Leon Bailey getting on the score sheet as well. Florian Verts uh, notably scored his fifth Bundesliga goal um, in his young career. And that is a, he's the first ever U18 to score five Bundesliga goals um, before his 18th birthday. So very, very uh, big milestone for the youngster. And we haven't spoken a lot about Florian Verts, um, I don't think on the pod, but this is such a, a massive come up for, for Leverkusen and having a talent like this on their hands at such, such a young age. Yeah, especially after, you know, selling Kai Havis to Chelsea. I think it says a lot about Vilts and about the club, too, that they did not immediately go spend that money on a replacement. Instead, gave Vilts the, the room to grow, if you will, into that attacking midfielder. Um Obviously, Leverkusen's season, as you mentioned, hasn't really gone to plan. I think that Bayern result where they kind of beat themselves has just had a really crazy knock-on effect. But uh, this is a good result for them, obviously, to kind of bounce back and, and score a lot of goals. Um, and and Verts is just incredible. I mean, he's 17. Um, he was taking, like, exams last, last <laughs> year during the season. And, and apparently he's a very good student, so shout-out to him. But... Uh, yeah, it's it's incredible um, that Leverkusen just keep like churning out the talent, and um, you know they're not a well liked club in Germany, but I think anyone <laughs> can respect how how much talent they bring through. Yeah, um, the uh, the final goal of the day was scored by Demery Gray, a uh, uh, who joined from Leicester. Yeah, <laughs> um, no one's allowed like to enter Germany from the UK except for him, apparently. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know uh how he got in. Um <laughs> the uh Stuttgart uh just the two constellation goals, but Sasha Kalajic was the uh was the goal scorer and we've we've talked about about Womanga Tuka uh quite frequently. Mm. Um but his strike partner, Sasha Kalajic Kalajic is uh in a in a rich vein of form himself, eight goals and four assists on the season. So um, a uh, an emerge another emerging talent for for Stuttgart. Yeah, Stuttgart have, have have done well with you know the resources that they have, which is not much compared to some of these giant clubs. But 
Also, shout out Mavropanos, who is is a stalwart for them back there on loan from <laughs> Arsenal. He's allowing the Wumangatukas and the Kalaizishas to to flourish. That's that's my narrative, and I'm sticking to it. I love it. <laughs> um, the so speaking of Florian Verts, and it it coincided well a, a young talent flourishing and and showing so much potential. Uh, it, it coincided well with a question we got from from Yankee Talk uh, on Twitter. Just the highest potential U twenty player in your opinion? Yeah, I mean the highest. I'm sure there's someone better than Florian Vets, but he's the one that I think of. I think he's the most exciting, um, and yeah, he's just he's incredible. And and to show as much as he has at age 17, it just is scary to think what he might be at you know 27 entering his prime. Um, I'll stick. I'll I'll give it another shout, and I'll stick to Germany. And and this shout even surprises me because I never like to compliment Bayern, but I think Jamal Musiala can be a mm. very special player too. Another attacking midfielder, mm. um, who who scores goals, and uh, I suppose he'll maybe turn into maybe a like the new Thomas Muller. I don't know. I don't want to put pressure on the kid. Not that cares what <laughs> I think, but. He scored three goals already for for the big side, and um, his uh, his international future could be very interesting. I think he he's listed as as an England player, but I think he's eligible for for Germany. I think Nigeria, if I'm not mistaken, and um, just has a varied background, but grew up in England, of course. So I think he he can be a very special player too. Yeah, no, I think both of those are are very good shouts. Verts is already, you know, he's clearly establishing himself as a as a key piece of of Leverkusen's attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, Musiala, he, you know, he's shown his impact in in games where he's come off the bench. Uh, where you know, I think that's always an indicator of that next level when a game can change with your introduction when you're that young. Um, right. The, the players that I I'm going to shout out and I know Yankee talk, I know you asked for like one, um, but it's hard to limit uh, at this, <laughs> at this point. So I'm going to, I'm going to say one that is, I think this, this player's fallen off the radar a little bit due to injury, unfortunately, um, but Ooh, Ansu Fati, yep. Um, Ansu. <laughs> so Ansu Fati is like was playing at unbelievable levels, like prior to his injury, and it's been really unfortunate that he's missed out on a, on much of this season. Um, I think he, in terms of the ceiling for him, um, being at Barcelona at such a young age, I think you know the sky's the limit. Uh, you know if that. I think the only question marks around Fati is will there be enough stability at Barca to mm-hmm. like truly foster his development? So that would be my like the current upheaval can't be good. I don't think for for his uh, for for his development. So we'll see. But I and I I think we're all being deprived um, because Messi clearly like trusted him. Um, yeah from how they played together on the field. So I think we're missing out on, on something that could have been, uh, you know, pretty special this season. The one I'm, I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised you didn't call this out, but because I don't think he immediately jumps to mind cause he's not an attacker. Um, mm. but 
Eduardo Camavinga of uh, hey. <laughs> Stad Rene. I think, well, not Stad Rene anymore. Um, wait, what am I thinking of? Yeah, Stad Rene, right? Yeah, no, he's still at Rennes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so anyways, uh, Camavinga, I think, is one who we haven't really seen, like, just how good he can be, but he's, you know, obviously playing well in a good, in a good Ren side. So, um, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how he comes through. And I mean, he's scored for France, like he scored a fucking overhead kick yeah. for France <laughs> against he's Ukraine. 18. I mean, it was a, it was a blowout, but Ukraine is no like slouch. You know, it wasn't, yeah, they're not like San Marino, San Marino. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, the so, Sam Marinese gonna be in the comments like sorry. bro. <laughs> sorry guys. Uh <laughs> Liechtenstein or Andorra or someone. I'm sorry. We'll right, the, right. We'll, exactly. we'll mention all the micro states. Yeah. <laughs> um oh yeah, Kamavinga is uh just the way he can control a game yeah. at his age is just nuts. Like I think he goes straight to the top. I don't think he needs to stop anywhere and I would like to see him kind of have like a progression. Maybe he goes to like a, a Dortmund or, a, you know, a team like that. But mm-hmm. I think honestly, he could probably go straight into like a Real Madrid or someone because he is, he's special. He could be, I mean, yeah, they could, it'll be interesting with Madrid's an interesting shout just because of the kind of aging nature of their central midfield. Mm. Um, you know, Modric, Kroos, uh, they're all getting up there. So there may be some gaps appearing, um, maybe just ever so slightly. Um, that's an interesting one. I do think, I do think (laughs) if Dortmund, if Dortmund got him with this, with this current setup, it would just be, it would be like, they would have the football manager like dream squad of where it's just five star potential on every single player. <laughs> um, it's like a boring FIFA career mode. Cause you don't have to like sell everyone. Right. Like, you're just already <laughs> stacked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just all potential all the way around. Um, so back to the Bundesliga quickly, just results wise, Bayern beat Hertha one nil. Um, just a, a, a Coman goal enough for Byron to get past Hertha kind of hung in this one a little bit though. So, so good, good on them. Not, not getting blown out. Um, maybe, maybe things Still are turning though. around. <laughs> Still though. Yeah. Uh, Wolfsburg beat Augsburg two nil and our boy Vout Vekor scored again. Um, so <laughs> it's just like automatic at this point. Um, the one shock that I, you know, I didn't put it up here because we didn't watch it. Um, but the one shock of the weekend, Freiburg gets a two, one win over Dortmund and it's kind of more of the same for Dortmund just being disappointing in matches. They are expected to win. Yeah, this is a weird one. And I think it's, again, I think Dortmund are really going to rue not replacing Lucien Favre properly. Like, I think that's a lot to ask of Ed and Terzic. And actually, if Favre's still there, they might actually be better off. So, um, yeah, it's odd. I mean, they're, for, you know, let me know, but are, aren't they in trouble, kind of? <laughs> in <this laughs> game? 
in Europe. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they're sixth um, at the moment and three points behind Leverkusen in fifth. Uh, or sorry, two point. Yeah, three points behind Leverkusen and four points behind Frankfurt in in fourth. So a um, little bit of a gap appearing there too. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think some of the older players in Dortmund squad probably need to move on. I don't know that the the balance is quite right there, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously, as we've seen in the season, things can change very quickly. So we'll see if Terzic can turn it around there, but six at this point with all the talent they have is certainly not good enough. Leipzig beat the absolute breaks off of Schalke three nil and uh, <laughs> oh, Schalke. Schalke weren't in this one at all. Um, just a one shot on target. Was, uh, <laughs> was this Mustafi's debut? I think it was. And he was at yeah. fault as per for like <laughs> one of the goals. Like I think he, I think he was all right, but like failed to clear a header. Yeah. No. Um, Leipzig uh, keep pace with Bayern, trying to trying to keep that gap uh, as as tight as possible at the top. Um, mines get a really, really big win one nil over, uh, union who were down to 10. Um, but mines, uh, clawing at, at trying to survive, um, this season and, and making more of a show of it than Schalke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can say that, but it'll be tough as well for them. And then uh, in the last results of the weekend, Eintracht uh, with a 3-1 win over Hoffenheim and their impressive run goes on um, unbeaten in five and and indeed looking good value um, with uh, Kostic, Indica, and Andre Silva. Andre Silva scoring again. Um, and like we talked about last week, he's just been a machine for, for Frankfurt this year. Yeah, he's got Luka Jovic on the bench. <laughs> they didn't even put them together. Yeah, it's, he's been incredible. Um, taking a quick uh, quick jaunt over to La Liga. Um, each league that we start off with is Mika in pain. Um, <laughs> Barca beat Betis 3-2. Uh, Betis looked really good and were actually looking like they might get one over Barca and Lionel Messi said, nah, fam. Yeah. Lionel Messi didn't even start. So I was like, okay, cool. Like you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> um, and then he came on and immediately scored and played like a absolutely disgusting pass that set up yet another goal. So, um, yeah, it, look, Betis were really good. And first of all, let me say for those who might be listening that don't pay attention to La Liga, if ever you want to watch La Liga, Real Betis versus Barcelona is the fixture to do it in. This is always going to be a fixture with goals. And in this one, obviously, it's 2-3. But let me just briefly read just like the last four between these two sides. November 7th, 2020, 5-2 Barca. Before that, 2-3 Barca, 5-2 Barca, 4-1 Barca, 4-3 Betis. Like, there's just, <laughs> it's insane. It's the perfect advertisement for La Liga. But, yeah, back to this game. Um, Borja Iglesias, he opened the scoring with his third of the season, which, uh, you know, I was happy to see because Betis invested a lot of money in him coming from Espanol. And 
neither he or Loren Moron or the recently departed, actually, Antonio Sanabria, were able to kind of make that striking position their own. So right. hopefully he kicks on from this because uh, Betsy certainly need it. Um, but yeah, Messi came on and, of course, does what he does, changes the game, scores, you know, was was playmaking all over the place. And then Trincao with the 87th minute winner and it's just an incredible goal from from a player who's become a bit of of a lightning rod and and a whipping boy I guess for for Barcelona fans who kind of have criticized him and seem to favor uh Pedri and and Ricky Puj a bit more over him so it was nice for him to to get a goal and show his quality I do think he's a very good player um Victories. He had an own goal, a goal, and a yellow card. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Very <laughs> active for Betis, but ultimately, uh, it, it wasn't enough, and, and they fall at the Vimeirin. So, damn. Yeah, that's the. Uh, gosh, that's like it's like the Phil Jones hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A goal and own goal and a yellow card. Um, no, the Trincao <laughs> goal was was so good. Like yeah. in yeah. off the underside of the bar and just, you know, worthy of winning any game. Um, Betty's a little unlucky um, and a little hard done by um, given that there's definitely been games that they've deserved less out of than this. Yeah. And to have this sort of performance Very against fair. a resurgent Barcelona um, should be uh, good for them. But, you know, moral victories are are only good for so much, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's always an exciting one, but we we keep going. I think Betsy's are on the right track. I mean, the the performances are, have looked better of late, but now it's about matching that up with the results. So Barca though are are wow. Like now people are talking about challenging Atleti, which I, I think is a little bit much, but they yeah. have made quite a quite a good turnaround. Speaking of the uh, the. The champions elect uh, stuttered in in their match against uh, Celta Vigo two two a Luis Suarez brace not enough uh, to get past uh, to get past Celta Santi Mina opened the scoring in the thirteenth minute Facundo Ferreira in the eighty ninth minute uh, drawing level uh, for Celta and and sharing the points uh, at the Wanda as well. Yeah, I think the a natural consequence of, of this run that Atleti are on is that they are, and, and champions do this all the time, but they are pretty hugely overperforming their XG. And I think now we're starting to see a regression to the mean. Um, yeah, they're they're They've been more expansive this season, but of course that means that they are conceding a little bit more than, than you might expect, but the defense is still on point. And I think, um, I think this is not the end of the world, certainly, and I think they still have to collapse pretty hard to to let go of the La Liga title at this point. But a, a good point for for Kude and and his side, um, and Aspas of course is back, so things are looking up for Celta. Has to be said too that Atleti were were missing a few key pieces, including Joao Felix uh, yeah. through through COVID. So yeah, I think Felix Lamar. Carrasco, like just just a bunch of people. Yeah. yeah, and it showed in attack. And I think Thomas Lamar, in particular, um, with oh. his form recently, yeah. um, they they were lacking something um, in in that area. Not to say that you know two goals 
in a Simeone side is normally enough to win you any match. Uh, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, Suarez, though, just like stunting on his ex. Yeah. <laughs> you, you hate to love to see it. It's, it, yeah, he, there's, he's nothing if not spiteful. <laughs> For real. Goodness. Um, the other La Liga results, uh, Alaves, uh, one, no win over Valladolid, uh, Levante and Granada played to a two, two draw, uh, Madrid got the win over Huesca, but not without its struggles as they actually went behind and it took a Rafael Varane brace and a winner in the 84th minute to get all three points against Huesca. Yeah. They weren't exactly like. They had a lot of chances, but they weren't like overtly dominant. And now the the talk is that Ramos won't be resigning and Varane won't be either. So weird, weird times <laughs> at the Bernabeu. And and I think they played today too, right? They beat Hitafe or Yes. Have- yeah, they actually did. They beat Hitafe two nil, uh Kareem Benzema and Fairlon Mendy, the uh yeah, the that goal one scorers. Was more of a, a regulation win for sure. So. Yeah. They actually limited Hitafe to one shot. Um, that was not on target. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. a good performance. Maybe maybe not reading too much into the Huesca, <laughs> to the For win real. at Huesca. Um, Villarreal were held by Elche. Um, Lucas Boy scored the uh, scored the equalizer in the 64th minute for Elche, getting, getting them a share of the points. Um, but... Gerard Moreno with two more goals for Villarreal and uh, a shout to speaking of, you know, exciting players that are maybe a little overlooked in Europe. You brought up uh, Moreno specifically this week on Twitter um, and, uh, you know, showing just why uh, he is so exciting and and holds so much promise. Yeah, yeah, I think he's overlooked because of the clubs that he's played for. You know, Espanol, Villarreal, they're not, like, gigantic powerhouses. And and also him as a player, he's not, like, overly fast or tall or strong. Like, he's just kind of an all-around player. But, I mean, he'll score you goals, whether he's kind of central, leading the line, or, or coming off the wing. So I just really like him. I mean, he just puts his head down and is fighting for the Bichichi almost every season, it feels like. Uh, Sevilla get a three nil win against Hatafe. Uh, Hatafe, you know, struggling a little bit, but but Sevilla, it has to be said, they led one nil, um, and then get a couple of goals like late on. Um, so maybe adding a little bit of polish to this performance, uh, despite the fact that maybe it was a little bit closer than <laughs> than the scoreline suggests, but. Hitafe, no shots on target in this game, and now no shots on target in the game against Madrid, and not Oof. not a great time to be an attacker for for Hitafe. And they're they've now lost three out of four, and they're down to thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, it's not very and and Hitafe, if anything, were always solid defensively and kind of like a hard nosed team. They foul a lot, but they're not even really doing that right now. So. It's just not looking good for the Southern Madrid side. Uh, Real Sociedad had a 4-1 win over Cadiz, and uh, they there was a little bit of VAR controversy in this game in that the Cadiz like, manager basically pointed to the penalty. 
that Sociedad got that Oyarzabal scored in the 26th minute and then a goal that they had disallowed. And then the red card was a VAR review. Like (laughs) basically everything that happened in VAR went against Kadith. And so he was uh, not super pleased about about the uh, the application of VAR, uh, as you could expect. But notably, as we've talked about on the show, Alexander Izak scores two goals in this game and Sociedad won. In a win. Yeah, it was like three <laughs> or four games or something where he kept scoring and they would not win. So yeah. good. Good on him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> A quick fire brace for Izak too, so pretty cool for the for the uh, Swedish international. Um, Athletic and uh, Valencia played to a one-one draw. Osasuna two-one uh, win over Abar, and uh, and that rounds out the uh, that match day for La Liga, leaving us with Atleti still top, two games in hand over Real Madrid. Um, and uh, a five-point gap as it stands. So that could go, you know, as high as 11 points um, back to where it was, I believe. Um, yeah. Madrid in second. Um, but Barcelona just three points behind them in third with a game in hand. So Barcelona, you know, could be level on points. Um, Sevilla uh, just a point behind Barca, um, having played the same amount of games. So... Um, Sevilla up to fourth now via Real fifth Real Sociedad in sixth Betis up to seventh uh, Granada Levante and Celta Vigo rounding out the top 10 and then down towards the bottom still remains extremely tight uh, as uh, Osasuna's 15th Alaves uh, 16th their level on points Abar 17th level on points with Valladolid in 18th on goal difference Elche, uh, 19th, just two points behind Valladolid and Huesca, just two points behind Elche in 20th. So, um, yeah, six points. Huesca's only, only four points from safety, um, down at the bottom. So of all of the relegation battles so far, Spain's is by far the most interesting. Yeah. And Valladolid and Abar, I believe face off next match day. So is that, is that a six pointer at this point? Like, are we, that's a, that could be a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Um, yeah. A bar and Valladolid, uh, on Saturday. Um, so yeah, it's, it's funny because this match day particularly is, is a little more interesting at the bottom of the table than it is at the top. Um, <laughs> but via rail rail Betis is, is a pretty good matchup. Um, yes. I'll with the form Betis is in. Mm-hmm. And with Villarreal kind of being weird and beating themselves a little bit lately yeah. <laughs> and getting a lot of draws. So maybe we can take some of that Barca energy and, and get one on, on the Yellow Submarine, hopefully. We're over to Italy now. Serie A. The match of the weekend. Atalanta 3, Torino 3. More pain for, for Mika. <laughs> <laughs> The crazy thing about this game. Okay. So just quickly going over the goals, it was three nil 21 minutes in Atalanta looking like they're absolutely going to run away with it. Ilicic in the 14th, uh, Gerson's in the 19th, Muriel in the, in the 21st, 
And then Andrea Belotti gets a goal just before halftime. And then Bremer adds a second in first half stoppage time. And it's like all of a sudden the game is three, two at halftime and it's looking completely in the balance. Um, Torino, interestingly, actually dominated this game. <laughs> 21 shots to Atalanta's 11 and Atalanta was at home. So <laughs> this was just like a crazy match where Atalanta had more of the ball, but Torino were looked dangerous every single time they got forward, um, looked back to back to kind of their vintage selves, you know, the, the side that was challenging for, for European places. Um, and, uh, in the end they did, uh, get their reward as Bonazzoli, um, scored a, a winner in the 84th minute. Um, the celebrations of, of which were, were great. Um, but it's, it's weird because it's a really great result for Torino, but there's something painful about a performance this good against a team like Atalanta not being a win. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and they've, I think that's four straight draws on the bounce now for Torino. So yeah. <laughs> I have to give a shout out though, to their manager, Davide Nicola. He's, thought of in Italy as kind of like a miracle worker. He's done really great work with the likes of uh, Crotone, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, um, Genoa was the other one and helping them kind of like survive. And and so Torino brought him in after the sacking of Marco Giampaolo and he has the team fighting. Yeah. It's just turning those, those, those draws into results and maybe, maybe they'll stay up. I mean, I think he's the closest thing I suppose to a Sam Allardyce in the Serie A right now, but better, you know, better football, but yeah. he's brought in to hopefully perform another one of his miracles. So it's looking better, but yeah, it is heartbreaking to come back against an elite attacking side like Atalanta and not kind of take it all the way, but Belosi scores again. And he's, he's another one of those in the tweet that I listed as one of my favorite kind of underrated attackers in Europe. Yeah. Well, um, Belotti's, I think we've talked about his trajectory is just so strange um, in that, you know, he was linked with the some of the biggest clubs mm-hmm. in the world. And then when it just didn't happen, um, there was no real. It, he just kind of continued at <laughs> at Torino. There was no like there was no yeah. intermediate move. There was no. Uh, yeah, he just kind of continued on and uh, all right, I guess I'll stay here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the, the craziest, uh, the one thing I did see out of this, or I heard the commentator say, um, was an absurd stat, um, about Torino. And it's not applicable in this game because obviously they rescued a point from a losing position. They were down three nil. Um, Mm. so, Obviously, great to come back and get a point from that position. But this season, Torino have dropped 23 points from winning positions. They, <laughs> How many games is that? Can you do the quick maths? Well, it, <laughs> I, most of them are probably draws. They have 10 draws. So that would be two points per Oh so it's, so it's a couple it, so it might be like eight draws and and a couple losses but 
if 20, if they had all 23 of those points, if they had held on to win all of those games, yeah, they would be sixth pain. <laughs> they are 17th. And if they had half of those points, they would be 10th. More pain. <laughs> That's genuinely an insane stat. I just want Torino to stay up because I love Andrea Bellotti and I feel like they just kind of balance out what's going on in Turin with with Juve kind of being dominant, although they're kind of being put in their place a little bit at the moment. But I hope Nicola can can pull them through. But that is an insane statistic. God. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, I couldn't believe it when I when I heard it. Um and the math on it is just is just wild um to see where that team could be um if they had a little more a little more maybe rigidity um yeah. and could see out the results. Um but elsewhere elsewhere in Italy towards the top of the table a matchup between third and fourth and Juve the winners in this one, two nil over Roma, Cristiano Ronaldo scoring in the 13th minute. And then, uh, unfortunately in Ibanez own goal for Roma, um, yeah. sinking the capital line club. But, uh, I mean, not necessarily the story of the match as Juve scored. Well, from one of their two shots on target and then an on an own goal, they only fashioned three shots the entire match. Meanwhile, Roma 14 and uh, yeah, Juve somehow it, I think we talked about it. You, you saw the early parts of the match and it's one of those where Roma started extremely brightly and Ronaldo occurred. Yeah. Yeah. No, when I was watching, I watched most of the first half and Roma were on the ball more. I mean, they were in, of giving it to them and then Ronaldo just out of nowhere like I'd like to see the XG on that in the 13th minute I think it was yeah I mean he's just automatic right now and I think he even scored two today or something in Copa Italia so he's (laughs) he's in that mode where now he's like oh the season's like low-key serious now I will go god mode that's just what he does He had he had two in the first leg of the Copa Italia uh Today it finished nil nil and Juve advanced to the final. Um, okay, so he had it in the first leg. Okay, yeah, I knew there was something. Yeah, it finished nil nil today. Um, similarly, Inter Milan dominated, um, but couldn't find a breakthrough, um, and nil nil was enough. Andrea Bello, or Andrea Belotti, Conte, uh, giving uh, Juve <laughs> the bird. <laughs> absolute madman <laughs> amazing <laughs> that was great when you said that uh just yeah he, he's exactly the type of guy that would do that as well um like it wasn't shocking in the least um no. the uh so syria uh, around syria uh, this past weekend uh inter did get a 2-0 win over fiorentina um spezia with a rare win 2-1 over sassuolo good result for for spezia um genoa as well shock result in getting a 2-1 win over napoli that's a huge win for genoa huge and is this the one that goran pandev scored a double yeah goran pandev with two goals (laughs) he's still fucking playing the 37 year old macedonian who has basically played for every team in italy um (laughs) 
he gets two goals. Um, yeah. And when the alerts came up, I, I thought like maybe it was his son. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, but Napoli, Napoli continuing to struggle like, or just struggle for consistency. I should say not, you know, they're not struggling generally, but Gattuso coming under quite a bit of fire at the moment. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really unclear how long he'll actually last in that, in that Napoli hot seat. Um, I don't actually think like he, a bad manager. Actually, I think he's quite good and they do have that game in hand. So, I mean, it could, change pretty rapidly if they get a result or two here and there sure. and then you're they're back in the conversation for Europe and at that point it'd be super harsh to sack him but I mean people <laughs> are kind of talking about maybe Rafa having a return I don't know um I, I think it, I think it'd be harsh yeah. to be honest I think they're just suffering from a lot of the same issues um you know keeping keeping focused I suppose um so yeah we'll see on that Benevento and Sampdoria uh, drew 1-1. AC Milan won 4-0 against Crotone. And I feel for Crotone in this game because um, Zlatan opened the scoring on the half hour. um, And then they kind of hung in there, Crotone. And they were were doing okay. It was 1-0 for a long time or, you know, for about 35 minutes. And then in the 64th minute, Zlatan scores. Then Ante Rebic scores in the 69th and 70th um, to just put this, like, it got out of hand quickly. Yeah, Crotone looked like they're doomed. They actually edged uh, Milan in possession in this one, but just not enough shots. Um, and, yeah, that that might be the quickest quick-fire double <laughs> of recent times with Rebic in the 69th and the 70th. So, yeah, pretty routine win for Milan, I suppose. Udinese with a 2-0 win over Verona, Bologna 3-0 over Parma, and Lazio uh, with a 1-0 win over Cagliari, who drop into the relegation places. Um, Lazio, on the other hand, have won five straight um, and have climbed up to fifth. Um, Going over the table, AC Milan still top. just two points ahead of, of crosstown rivals inter um, on 47 Juve still five points behind, but with a game in hand uh, over inter. So they have a chance to make up some ground on, uh, on their rivals around them. Roma uh, just two points behind Juve in fourth level with Lazio in fifth. So we could be set for some spicy and late season <laughs> derbies if they remain, if uh, <laughs> the two capital clubs remain around each other. Um, Napoli in sixth, Atalanta in seventh, Sassuolo eighth, Verona ninth, and Sampdoria in tenth. And then at the bottom, as we said, uh, Spe- Spezia with the win actually move five points clear of Torino um, in 16th. So they're, they're looking pretty, pretty decent, um, there, but Torino out of the drop zone up to 17th, um, a point ahead of Cagliari who dropped to 18th. They're looking absolutely dire alongside Parma in 19th and Crotone, uh, propping up the table in 20th. But yeah, the three at the bottom for all of Torino's 
struggles throughout the season, the three at the bottom right now are just in like diabolical form. Yeah, yeah, they they allow way too many goals. I mean, Crotone have conceded fifty goals, <laughs> <laughs> and Parma not far behind them with forty one. So, yeah, yeah, they look doomed. So that is that is Italy. Well, we'll move just swiftly on to France. Just really only a couple of things to cover in France. There's really only one team worth talking about at the moment because they keep waiting for us to record and then doing the most. So, (laughs) (laughs) so PSG with a two nil win over the most FC, AKA Olympic Marseille. Um, (laughs) this one, uh, maybe not as routine as the scoreline suggests it. It kind of looks like a comfortable win, not necessarily the case for PSG um, as most things aren't coming very easily to PSG at the moment. No. Yeah. I think the, the scoreline, I suppose flatters to deceive Marseille did fight. Um, They're just, I think the turmoil around the club must be getting to the players. I mean, when you see, Dimitri Payet kick Verratti <laughs> in the ribs the way he did. Like it's there's frustration there, obviously. Um, and Verratti went to the ref and said, "That's a red card, my friend." So <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was probably the funniest thing. But yeah, I'm not so classic this one, I guess. But um, Marseille, yeah. Now they're now they're talking about Frank McCourt possibly selling the club, which is. Quite the turnaround, I so I don't know. Maybe this has been cooking for a while, and he's just sick of it. Um, and and uh, we'll see. I think there's like a Saudi consortium or someone interested, which yeah. is not surprising at all. Um, and also, funny another funny thing I thought of this game was shout out to the like 97 or so people that all crowded at a shisha bar during COVID. <laughs> they oh all got. <laughs> They all got tickets by Marseille police. They were watching the uh, the game together. Oh my <laughs> got god! Caught, so oh my god! Um, you got a ticket and a loss for your troubles. That's pretty rough. <laughs> well, this matchup, uh, while like you said, it wasn't it wasn't the most classic uh, as as the game is called, um, but um, Couch Sports Adam had asked last week um right after we had recorded um after seeing psg launch the saucy jordan kit um club america uh launch the the beauty third kit and marseille launch an african inspired kit what is your favorite kit in football right now oh i uh Long-time listeners probably already know I love the Napoli fourth kit, um, yeah. the Maradona commemorative kit with the white and blue stripes. I think it just looks so clean, uh, and I love the shade of blue. And, yeah, it just – we've said on here before, Napoli should not be allowed to lose in that kit ever. It's just gorgeous. And I'm trying to see if I could buy it, but, like, you have to, like, sign up and become a member and all this, and it just seems like a lot of, like – commitment for me yeah. um <laughs> we'll see because it's a beautiful kit i think that's my favorite of this season oh man that one it's so good it's it's tough to beat um i'm trying to think of one that overtakes uh that overtakes it because um 
you know, normally I would show my bias and, and pick a Liverpool kit, but I, I have to say that I can't, I can't put it at best in the world. Like there, mm-hmm. that's just, that seems like a bridge too far. Um, yeah. I don't know. That Napoli kit is like unbelievable. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I'm struggling to think of one that I, that I've enjoyed more than that. Cause um, I do want to shout out though the uh, Marseille's whole um, initiative for all the <laughs> like absolute madness around the club. Their initiative to connect more with um, with obviously like the the cultural roots of, of Marseille and and the multicultural background is is pretty cool and the the kits yeah. are very unique uh, in in the style and and uh, just it's a, a pretty cool initiative. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Marseille, as you said, a very diverse city, and it's nice that their club is reflecting them. Although, you know, maybe they maybe they don't release those if they, they knew they'd attack the training ground. But that's neither here nor there. They are nice kids for sure. Yeah. Um, the results around around France: uh, Lorient beat uh, Reim one nil. Uh, Leon with a three nil win over Strasbourg, uh, pretty routine, um, for the team towards the top, uh, Lance and Rennes, uh, played to a, a nil nil draw Brest with a, uh, two, one win over Bordeaux late goals from former Huddersfield striker, Steve Mounier and, uh, and Roman, uh, Fav from, uh, a, who was a tour slash Monaco product, um, 22 year old grabbed the winner in the 85th minute, um, in, in brace. Nice. Um, Huang Weijo was the uh, scorer for Bordeaux and he's on a really good run of goal scoring form and one to watch. Um, I would say the, uh, the Korean striker. Um, for, for Bordeaux, uh, Monaco played Neem th- f- to an absolute thriller four three, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with, uh, Golovin, Alexander Golovin, uh, scoring a hat trick. So notable there, but Monaco get it, you know, getting the result Montpellier, uh, beat Dijon four two, um, And, uh, yeah, just maintaining, uh, maintaining their, their kind of upper, upper half status. Um, San Etienne beat Mace one nil Nice with a three nil win over Angers. Um, Lille importantly with a two nil win over Nantes, um, Jonathan David with a brace and the Canadian, uh, attacker finally kind of coming into his own for Lidl. Yeah, definitely. He's it was kind of a slow start. I mean, I think it's always hard to follow up the previous striker. Um, but yeah, he's looking really good. And Leo, man, I, it would be incredible if they wouldn't lead on this year, but still some time to go. Let's see. Yeah, Leo have now won um six in a row, uh since uh since a January sixth loss to Angers. So they are looking very solid. very solid um they've got Dijon in the in the cup um tomorrow and then Brest at the weekend um so uh 
they'll certainly, I think they'll be focused on the league more so than, uh, <laughs> than the cup. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the table right now, Lille top, uh, two points clear of Lyon in second, uh, who are just a solitary point above PSG who are in third Monaco fourth, uh, Stadren in uh, fifth, Lens sixth, Mace seventh, Angers up to eighth, Marseille down to ninth, but still with two games in hand. So they could, uh, well, yeah. you know, if they turn any of this around, maybe they'll they'll <laughs> climb back up. And Bordeaux uh, in tenth, level with points on uh, uh, with Montpellier on thirty two. Um, down at the bottom, um, another. There's a gap uh, developing as Lorient are 17th um, on 22 points. Nantes are in the that 18th spot, which is a relegation playoff um, place uh, on 19 points. And then the two bottom teams, Dijon and Nîmes, um, both on 15 points and uh, four points from that playoff spot. So little bit of a, a of a gap opening up um i think Lorient, correct me if i'm wrong are, are putting a little bit of separation i think that's three straight wins for them isn't it three out of four uh there was that's a good. draw in there for Lorient. um but yeah it was a uh yeah uh wins over dijon psg of <laughs> and, course right and reem uh there you and, go and only a, a draw with uh, with Ren uh, was their only slip up in that in that run. Um, Very good form for them. Yeah, and they got a win in the cup over Paris FC today. Um, the other Paris club, <laughs> <laughs> the other other Paris club, and uh, yeah, they um, so they advance in the cup as well. Um, and that is that is Ligue 1. Um and brings us into our our last uh, last little bit here. The we had a couple of questions um, just to I think we can touch on briefly before we get out of here. Um, the first from Fernie, and this is this is going to the U.S. briefly. Can you please explain the U.S. Open Cup draw? Is it not like before? Um, I actually would like to know this too. So <laughs> I have no fucking clue what's going on with the Open Cup. Okay. So I don't want to misrepresent this, but um, the U.S. Open Cup uh, was canceled last year, as we know, um, for those listening who are fans of USL Championship, like we are, uh, or MLS. um, You likely had a team who was in the cup and was ready to play matches, but they canceled them due to COVID. Um, The... It was the first time the U.S. Open Cup had been canceled in in quite a long time. Um, So what they decided to do was play a compressed schedule this year of 24 teams um, in five rounds. The 24 teams would be selected from teams who were in the competition when it was canceled last season. Mm-hmm. So teams that had already qualified for last seasons would be available. So 
the opening round would consist of eight USL championship teams, four open division teams, which is the uh, like the amateur qualifying teams. Yeah. Two USL League One teams, two uh, NISA teams. With eight MLS teams entering in the second round. The 24 qualifiers have not been selected. (laughs) So, and they will be announced in the coming weeks per U.S. soccer. So there's essentially a selection committee, like for all intents and purposes. So this is a U.S. closed cup. Yeah, it's not the open (laughs) cup. And this is this is, this is my whole this is my whole take. And this is actually I do have to shout out uh the designer of our logo. Um <laughs> I always laugh when I'm gonna say his at, but Mike Pendleton, um, I'll just say Fat Seven Deuce, I think, is his is mm. his uh his, is his handle, but I'll shout him out because he had the best the best take on this because I initially came out and said this is bad and it's not the open cup like it's not whatever it is that's it's not that Um, because the whole idea of the open cup is any team can qualify for you know you as long as you play through the qualifiers and and all that you can compete in it and this is not that Um, Mike made a good point in that he said um, the he'd rather that they play this and name a champion because last year they awarded the CONCACAF champions league spot that normally goes to the open cup winner to the previous winner. Like they just Mm. picked a way to award that spot. Um, so what they should do is they should call it the like, CONCACAF Champions League qualification tournament or something, you know, something well, yeah, catchier than yeah. that, but like something along those lines, like that, but make it marketing. Yeah. Like working title. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, like because they need to award the spot, it's like, at least they're going to play a tournament to determine that the thing that really is. And maybe this is something more so for seriously loco, but the thing is, is like, how do you determine what teams are going to make it in? Do you go off of league standing? Do you go off of playoff? Like yeah. where you ended in the playoffs? Um, it's a very weird setup. Um, I'm concerned with anything U.S. soccer, I'm concerned that they're going to go for whatever they feel is the most commercially impactful and not necessarily for the best teams. Yes. So essentially New Mexico United and New Mexico United 2 will make it in. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really thinking that it'll be that rather than go for the teams that, you know, played that made it like the furthest in the playoffs, they may just simply go for, Oh, like these teams were group winners or whatever, or wait, no, we won our group also. Anyways, this is for seriously local, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, 
No. So basically to answer your question for any, no, it's not like before, um, unfortunately, and we'll still wait and see who is actually going to play in this thing. Um, we have no idea. And they said the March 31st is when the opening round matchups are announced. So hmm. I don't know. Um, I guess we'll see when they when they announce um, who who will actually play in this thing, um, but it's going to be pretty weird. Um, and then the last question was from <laughs> was from Mexico City LFC, aka Pat Staley, who asked hey. best place for chicken tenders. The hard-hitting questions. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go first? I'm curious. I have a real soft spot for an El Paso, an El Paso institution. Well, I don't oh know God. if it's an El Paso institution, but I have a real soft spot for Boss. Yes. I think Boss is amazing. Boss sauce. Yes. Just like bathe in it (laughs) (laughs) that was my shout too boss is boss over raising canes any fucking day yeah and they're they're right next to each other near my house so like (laughs) i literally have to swerve raising canes to get to boss like drive down the street a bit faster yeah boss is boss is boss yeah i think boss actually is after pat's like tenure in el paso so um he may be he may be in the mud on this one (laughs) Uh, it's really i mean it's essentially raising canes but like they also sell like like custard i guess yeah like hot dogs and stuff it's better though like for me it's better the fry on the chicken is is better at boss Yeah. yeah 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 and i think the sauce is better too yeah yeah, and it's boss, local. boss is boss. Yeah, for um, sure. But if like if I have to scratch that itch when I'm out of town, then Canes will do just fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, wrapping things up, Mika, we get to our sounds of the season. We've got our playlist that is ever growing each week. Um, two songs. It's like per- four and a half hours now. By the way, that's a that's a solid. <laughs> that'll get you from Toledo to Chicago. Um, there you go. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> If, you know, anyone was driving that distance uh, or happened to be. Uh, so, Mika, what uh, what two songs do you have for our, our Spotify playlist? Yeah, so the the first song I have is called Turning Point by a band called The Villa. And actually, it's kind of inspired by one of your choices last week. You picked, um, uh, who did you pick last week? Oh, my God, now I'm blanking on it. Who was Tyler? What was me? What was me? What was me? Yeah. Yeah, So this band, The Villa, is apparently made up of like former members of What Was Me. (laughs) So, and so they're pretty new. And and I think the song kind of reminds me of kind of we're at the turning point in a lot of these club seasons. We're kind of getting to the business end, if you can believe it. I mean, geez. So yeah, title (laughs) races are really starting to to hot up and there's separation in a lot of these big leagues. So it's a turning point for a lot. So that, that was my first one. And then my second one is just like, uh, just a really like scene song from a band from Denver called Grayscale. It's called kick rocks. It's just, it's catchy. I've seen, I remember (laughs) seeing Grayscale at like a 500 
cap like venue <laughs> in El Paso. Love it. Um, the House of Rock and Roll, rest in peace. Um, but uh, yeah, just a just a fun song that I wanted to throw in there. But um, what do you got for us, Phil? I've got um, one. My first one is a shout out to all the the U twenties that we were talking about, and in particular Florian Verts for his milestone goal scoring. Mm. It's a uh, a song by the band uh, The Amity Affliction, and it's called Young Bloods. Um, so nice. it's just you know it is what it is exactly. Like <laughs> shout out to the to the Young Blood and all the you know bright bright talents that are coming up through the leagues right now Um, because I think we are seeing a lot of involvement of of youth players uh, maybe more so than normal Um, like out of necessity yeah yeah, it's it's one of the odd I guess benefits of COVID you know if you could call it that um, is we get to showcase you know more young talent Um, and then my other one is this is partially down to this is Liverpool's like current state right now. So it's, it's a song called strange comfort, um, by, by the color morale. And, uh, there's a line that says like, I find this strange comfort in being lost in life. And, uh, I think right now for Liverpool fans, there's a lot of, you know, the new the new era of liverpool fans who have only known success the sweet uh-huh. summer children right like game <laughs> of thrones or whatever sweet summer child like you haven't known winter you know and so like mm. i i'm kind of strangely okay with yeah this sort of tough period um because i i I trust, you know, um, Klopp and, and this group of players. Um, so yeah, I mean, despite the fact that the title may be gone, like I, I'm really not as like crazy broken up about it as I would have been, you know, um, as I would have been missing out on top four like years ago. Um, so yeah, yeah, right now I just find like, I just have this strange comfort in, in where they're at. And I think, I think they'll be fine. Um, but you know, I guess maybe we'll see. Uh, yeah, (laughs) that's fair. Yeah. Liverpool went through some tough times for sure. And I think, uh, a lot of, uh, football Twitter, shall we say is kind of showing their ass on how they don't remember, uh, you know, mid, you know, finishing eighth pretty regularly and things like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, You haven't, you, you haven't truly, you haven't truly lived, um, till you've, you know, had a, a three, one loss at, at home to West Ham United, um, (laughs) that, you know, uh, or the, or been shouted down by an Aston Villa fan in your own bar, um, (laughs) as you lose in the FA cup semifinal, you know, those sorts of things. Um, (laughs) dark days indeed. Um, but yeah, well, Mika, I guess that kind of brings us to the end. I I guess we should probably (laughs) get out of here. We, we plan on going shorter and we just like went just as long as normal. Whoops. (laughs) <laughs> we always try and then just fail it's all good uh, uh, well um, content yeah and i hope you guys have enjoyed it um and hopefully uh this weekend is um filled with with some more good results and and more talking points 
Um, although, uh, you know, I know we, we will probably talk in less detail just because of like the points of burnout that everybody was hitting of like, I'm watching too much football. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll try to focus a little bit more, but no promises. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, hope everyone is hanging in there, staying, staying, uh, safe and just, well, hopefully if you're able, you're getting a vaccine soon, I guess, you know, if you want, if that's what you're into, um, PS five combo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, until, until next time, um, like I said, stay safe and we'll, we'll talk to you then. See ya.